This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. All right, welcome into the show, Jeff, along with Brian and Andrew Glukov joining us here for this first segment on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Hope you're enjoying your week. We've got uh, a bunch to talk about, although things are starting to throttle back a little bit, finally, boys. We're starting to get a little breathing room. Uh, we've got, we still have a lot to talk about. Soccer is heading into the, uh, men's soccer is heading into the postseason. We're going to talk about tennis later. Um, obviously, volleyball with a, a disappointing loss uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. We'll get to talking about that. Uh, and we will also talk about baseball and softball. But first and foremost, gentlemen, Let's talk a little football because that's what we like to talk about in the spring. Isn't that right? Football yeah, sells. Yeah, well, yeah, but Andrew <laughs> certainly hasn't listened to these last few programs. We push football to the back back of the program. Yeah, we need to we need to make up for that now. So let's talk about the uh, UC, annual UCF spring game. What perhaps the what second most highly anticipated spring game in uh, in UCF history <laughs> compared to the the one with Scott Frost a few years back, but. Uh, um, we were there, Drew. You were there. Uh, I was there. We uh, the, first of all, the little let's give like just a quick recap of things. Uh, it was basically a practice. <laughs> um, there, w- there was something resembling football taking place, uh, but uh, it, it was fun. It was fun to see the guys out there. It, it, it there were you know little hints of a little bit of atmosphere, a little bit you know something. As I was telling everybody, something to just kind of take the edge off for the next few months, right? So, um. They split the team into the uh, black team versus the uh, white team, um, and uh, it was the, the team that had Dylan Gabriel, which was the uh, uh, the black team, which we also called the Knights. The other the, the team in the white jerseys was UCF, basically. But um, the Knights uh, won the spring game, but that wasn't the real story. the 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 top story that I think nationally everyone was talking about was the uh, was the uniforms with the. Uh, uh, name on the back being replaced by the player's social media handles could have been Twitter, Instagram, or or whatever else. But uh, that ended up getting some uh, traction nationally. Drew, uh, what was your reaction when you saw that? Because that was that was new. I didn't I I didn't know that was happening until they actually rolled those uniforms out for the game. I'll be honest. From where we were sitting upstairs and they weren't letting us on the field, I didn't know that happened until I saw UCF football the Twitter handle actually posted. I couldn't tell. Uh, but I think it's cool. It's the second time I've ever seen it. Uh, Temple did it a few years ago, uh, but did not create nearly as much buzz. And what did uh, they're talking about six plus million Twitter impressions on that very picture or post that had the different players mm-hmm. with their social media handles? A mission accomplished. Uh, that was exactly what they wanted to do. And that's what they got. Yep. Garnered attention. Murph, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, and, and certainly, like Andrew said, it garnered the national attention that you, that UCF wants. I mean, in, in in whatever shape or form, you know, having people talk about your program, even if it's as sort of banal and sort of outside the realm of the football, uh, as just talking about nameplates, that means a lot. It, 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 you know, to get that to get the eyeballs and get people talking about you and, and get ink spilled about you, um, it's something with, that every program shoots for. So UCF kind of hog the spotlight as it was for spring football weekend. And that's important. I, I think that's something that you'll see, maybe not this season, but that's, that, that is a precursor to what you will, what you will see going down the road here, especially in Florida as the, uh, uh, 
the NIL bill uh, passes on, I believe it's July 1st. I believe that goes to action mm-hmm. on July 1st. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying it's going to happen this season, but I, I would not be shocked within a few years if that becomes the norm where we're no longer wearing names. We're wearing the the, the handles which you can contact and these and these athletes can you know tell you where to reach them. Um, now, now, I know right now the uniform code doesn't allow it, mm-hmm. but you know right. rules are meant to be changed. I mean, they can yeah. change it. So, I mean, right now it's it's cool for a spring game. You know, it's something different. You know, spring games are more for internal fans anyway. It's it's not about, you know, visiting teams and all that other stuff. Unless you're UCF fans watching Florida State, which is a whole nother, whole nother monster in itself. But uh, I, I could see this happening down the road. Um, you know, it's obviously going to be a, a slow process. But, you know, with Florida, Arizona, and a handful of other states starting, uh, you know, name, image, and likeness bills, or laws rather, over the next two years, the NCAA is going to have to make a change somehow. You know, are yeah. they going to allow sponsorship patches? Are they going to allow social media handles? Uh, this is all going to have to be addressed. But at least in the short term, it's it's not going to go beyond the spring. Interesting. I, I still think it's, you know, it's a little bit of what well, we talk about the future of college football is here, right? That's kind of a little glimpse into what the future may very well look like. As far as the, the game itself is concerned, um, Drew, you were in the press box. You were following things pretty closely. You live tweeted it the whole time. I saw you had a great time doing it too. Um, couple of numbers to pass along. Dylan Gabriel was uh, had 191 yards passing on 17 to 22, two touchdowns. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else do we have? Anthony Montalvo had two and a half sacks insofar as they were sacks. There was a little bit more contact on the, uh, on uh, on the guys further down the depth chart than I was than I was anticipating, but um, your overall impression of who really stood out to you uh, in this you know two hours that we saw UCF take the field? Well, I pointed out five players in my in my knee jerk reactions as to who who jumped out, and and the I'll I'll just tap on them real quick and then go into a little more depth. Uh, Ryan O'Keefe, R.J. Harvey, Johnny Richardson uh, on the offensive side. And then Tana Bethune and Anthony Montalvo on the defensive side. Now, Dylan Gabriel had a great game, and that was expected. So I, I didn't put him as a and, and same with Kalia Davis. I mean, they did exactly what they were supposed to do. Uh, so they, they weren't really breakout guys. You know, not, they didn't really tell us anything that we didn't. Already <laughs> They've already <have>. broken out. <laughs> oh, they 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 they're broken in. Uh, they're 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 a well-oiled machine at this point. But I think one of the biggest standout guys was Brian O'Keefe on the offensive side at wide receiver. You know, everyone talks about Jalen Robinson, you know, Jay flash being the guy. Well, he actually struggled quite a bit in this new offense, which focuses more on the short to medium thirds and requires a little more agility on cuts as opposed to just raw speed, which was always what he was best for is, is breaking that coverage. As a result, Ryan O'Keefe was the one who really got the shine because he's got great shifty mobility and was able to create enough separation. And it didn't have to be much with the accuracy that Gabriel had to, to be able to make plays. And and I think with the, the spring game gave Robinson film to look at, that'll help him work on that, that short to medium game to be able to, to expand himself. Cause you're not going to see, Wide receiver bubble, wide receiver bubble screens, and you're not going to see fly routes like you did on a regular basis during the Josh Heupel era. No, you're going to see a lot of crossing routes, 
And we saw a lot of them, a lot across the fields and a lot, a lot of, of drag routes and stuff like that. Drag routes, button hooks, you know, stops I mean, stuff that to throw stuff in the middle off. third of the field. Holy smokes. Hey, the first completion <laughs> of the game slants to the posts. tight end. I, I'm saying the first one was to the tight end. I mean, what? We haven't seen the tight end catch the ball in yeah. a meaningful way in four years. I mean, even before hype. Not since Jordan here. Aikens was around, really. Yeah, I once once Aikens left, it was it's been gone. So three years, I can't add. It's late at night. But you know, 18, 19, 20, tight end's been an endangered species kept in a zoo somewhere to protect. Well, now it's time to roam free in the prairie. And the first play or preferably okay. in the middle of the field between the hash marks. <laughs> well, I mean, this one was outside the hash marks, but it'll still a completion and a first down. I'll take it. Uh, Murph, what, what do you think? Did you, you know, I mean, I know that your first objective is always like, don't get hurt, right? <laughs> Nobody, yeah. everybody just, everybody just stay healthy. We managed to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, what were the noticeable differences that you saw this year? Well, I just think, you know, I, what going kind of going off what Andrew said about Ryan O'Keefe in the article, you know, that's a guy that, that coach Daryl Wyatt had sort of highlighted in, uh, a couple weeks ago and during, during one of the press conferences where he thought they said that Ryan was going to have a breakout season. And we know coaches are really effusive with praise with all their guys, but coach Wyatt to his credit, didn't like go through every guy on the list and say like, this guy's going to be great. And this guy's going to be great. And whatever he really pinpointed to Ryan said, because of his confidence and how he's improved from last season, he really thinks that Ryan, he's going to take a step up this year. And I know Johnny Richardson opened eyes, but what Johnny Richardson does even in the scant playing time that he got last year, which I thought still was like too little for the issues that Yusuf had at running back. What he does is he is Adrian Killens. I mean, he's got the same type of body, but he's also got the same type of speed and elusiveness uh, and the cutting ability. Um, I, I want, we, we should all want to see more of that this year. I hope, I hope he does get, you know, he, I imagine he has to get more work because there's so much uncertainty with that position. Now he should have gotten more work last year and he just didn't. Um, so I'm really intrigued uh, after this spring game and, and knowing that he impressed, seeing if he can carry over that into the, into the fall. But I'll always say this. I'll always say this. Spring, sp good spring game impressions are not worth anything. Uh, there, have been guys who have, who, there have been guys who have been stars of spring games who then did not play a snap during the fall or at least a meaningful snap. Uh, as long as no one got hurt. No, it, Look, the two things I like is no one got hurt and they did some like gadgety trick plays with like some fun stuff like, who was it ryan yeah ryan o'keefe yeah ryan o'keefe threw that pass to dylan gabriel yeah and then we saw um Kalia uh, davis is playing yeah. running back yeah, yeah. so Kalia da davis is now lining up in the halfback position like out of the new bone formation like apparently yeah like, a direct snap to Kalia davis it was a direct snap it was it was basically <laughs> like a wildcat <laughs> I, I, I know i know like they said like we're gonna run that during the season like okay okay gus i got it um I, it doesn't matter like Show that stuff in the spring game. That's what the fans really do like to see. Like, uh, we don't want to see practice. We want to see the fun stuff. Yeah. I was, uh, on top of the guys that you were talking about, I, I was excited to see what uh, uh, R.J. Harvey did. Because, you know, he was a guy that we, you know, had heard about. He was a quarterback up in Virginia. Came down here. Put some, you know, has changed his body from that of a quarterback to a running back. And looks really big out there. And... Uh, scored, I think, three touchdowns. Was it true? Uh, he had a pair of touchdowns. He had a pair of uh, touchdowns, yeah. But, you know, he 
not including the transfers coming in like like um, Bowser from uh, Northwestern, but for the guys that are currently on the roster, he's basically fitting in the bruiser back role that, yeah. that UCF has needed since Taj McGowan left. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, he was actually the second guy I highlighted in, in the knee jerk as far as standouts. Uh, he had an outstanding game, and you can tell as the game wore on, he got more comfortable. And and that's something that Gus Melzon said that as the game wore on and he got every carry, he gets a little more experience. He feels more comfortable. He's still growing in this role. I mean, he's incredibly raw quarterback switching to running back, but boy, is he a natural. I mean, the the guy is gifted and he is hard to tackle. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I I have, I see a lot of good things from RJ Harvey, maybe not this year, but definitely next year. Well, I'm interested to see if there's like a sort of, competition brewing between him and Bentavius Thompson for that that bruiser back role right so um well, I, let, we let still me, have a whole summer to figure all that out <laughs> I, I can answer that question um during during spring practice we had a, a you know we had a chance to to talk with Bentavius when he was nursing some injuries and lost a lot of weight so he's actually focusing hmm. more on speed than size interesting uh I think he said he lost about 20 pounds during his re, uh, rehabilitation. And as a result, there goes that bruiser back. So I think, I think it's Harvey's to lose at this point, but I mean, he, he just needs more experience, needs to grow a little bit more into the position and understand some of the nuances. Uh, one of the things that was kind of cool, and I hope to see it again, you know, uh, Murph poo pooed the wildcat, but hey, I, <laughs> I happen to like the cut that Kalia Davis did. He was a running back in high school. He's got more you running told, back experience. You mentioned that too. I didn't realize that, that he was a a back in high school. Now yeah, He's got more experience than R.J. Harvey as a running back. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's probably right. It's probably right. Uh, all right. So overall impressions, success? Oh, absolutely. It was, sure. it was, it was fun. Uh, it was, it was hot out. Uh, you know, the turnout wasn't the alumni came out, you know, yeah. the, the turnout wasn't huge, but I mean, you, were you really expecting it? I mean, it's a spring game. It's hot out. We're still dealing with the pandemic. Um, so I, I mean, the turnout wasn't gigantic, but it was it, obviously for a lot of fans, it was good to go out and see some football in person that, you know, that they haven't seen in, in some, a few months, some in over a year, uh, the players played well, uh, as Coach Melzon said, the defense is maybe 60% installed, so we didn't really see anything creative. It was very base. Yeah. Um, every, every offense was pretty basic too. I thought, you know, uh, even though we saw the part. They, they would. They, I mean, it was they weren't running some really wild wrinkles out there um, per se, because because they're still in like he was talking about like evaluation territory. Yeah, you know, evaluating with different the guys, other, right? The other squads, right? Go ahead, that's Mark. I'm sorry. Keep, that's, that's something to keep in mind too. Like they just started the install on these schemes like two to three weeks ago. So right. we're 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 barely scratching the surface on on these guys really knowing what they're going to run. Right. For some reason, when I when I think of installing a scheme, I th- I, I I have this impression in my head of like a, a three by five floppy disk, like you know, being loaded into a disk <laughs> While you're drive aging or something. Yourself. You know? I mean, yeah, I know it's bad, but uh, hey, nobody. Got, I, my thing is like nobody got hurt, right? We had a little fun out there. It took the edge off. Now it's going to be, you know, from now till the next, what, the next uh, About three and a half months. You know, it's, 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 you know, wait room time for these guys. And uh, when August rolls around, that's when, that's when things, you know, guys start to report. End of July, end of July 
beginning of August. So I want to um, see the battle for third string quarterback. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the more intriguing ones, mostly because oh they're probably going to be starting next year uh, between Parker Navarro and Mikey Keene. Uh, that that was actually fun to watch. Was that uh, interesting? You th- okay. Who do you think had the advantage? Oh, I, I think it was Mikey Keene. Um, you know, Mikey Keene uh, looked pretty good. Navarro is a better athlete. Uh, yeah. Navarro looked ball. raw, I thought. He, he could tuck the ball. He can run. Uh, he needs to learn to throw the ball away. But Mikey Keene, yeah. even playing against the ones where the line just was Swiss cheese, uh, he was completing passes. He was accurate. He was really accurate. Uh, yeah, he's let, really accurate. Let's see. In the first half, he was six of nine for 29 yards. He was sacked twice, but of course, you're playing against the ones. That's expected. In the second half, when he, when they switched the rosters around, he was seven of eight for 70 yards. I mean, he's accurate. He can throw on the run. And while he's not as elusive as as Parker Navarro, you you need that that accuracy. I mean, we were, we were watching those routes, and Dylan Gabriel is throwing into some tight coverage, threading the needle and making things happen. I, I definitely give the uh, the plus one to to Mikey Keene on this one, but uh, there's going to be some time. But I'll be honest, with the draft class the way it is next year, I don't think we're going to see Dylan Gabriel in UCF uniform next year if he has a good season. Ooh, big That's my prediction. prediction from Drew. If he has a good season, I think he's gone because he has a great opportunity to make a big splash uh, in a oh. thin quarterback class. All right, all right. Well, we'll keep that in mind. All right. Um the uh, uh, so make sure you follow Drew at Statboy Drew by the way on Twitter for all of his takes and thanks again for covering the game that was uh, I mean it was good to have you back on the back in the saddle again it's been a while since you've been in the press box hasn't uh, it? 2019 was the last time I was in a in the press box I mean 2020 the world ended and you know we're all remote yeah. and you know the, the the press team got got you know cut down just for for safety uh, so it was good to be back in there I mean it felt like riding a bike. All right. Good. It's fun. Cool stuff. All right. Um, Stick around. We come back. We're going to talk about uh, all the latest from uh, UCF Volleyball. They lost in the first round to High Point. We're going to break that down uh, and then look ahead to the future of UCF Volleyball after that. Uh, Plus, we're going to talk about softball and baseball when we return. Don't go away. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back. Jeff and Brian with you. Uh, Drew dipped out and Pinch hitting for him is Eric Lopez, who during our first segment was following UCF softball. We'll talk about that in a second, but it was a uh, uh, a bittersweet evening on uh, Wednesday, April 14th for uh, UCF sports. We'll start with um, UCF volleyball in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, highly anticipated match. Uh, 48 teams, They were, and they matched up against the Big South champions, High Point, who came in undefeated. And even though UCF won the first set, Boy, did uh, High Point really uh, uh, acquit themselves well, winning in five sets uh, and uh, eliminating UCF from the NCAA tournament. UCF finishes with a 16-2 overall record. It was a real shock. This was, um, I had stated on Twitter, this was as shocking a a loss for any UCF sport as I have ever seen. Um, UCF won the first set 25-22, then they lost the next two, 25-19 and 25-21. Came back, forced the fifth, 25-23, before falling 15-11. They had leads in three of the, uh, in all three of the sets that they lost, actually, and still, and couldn't, uh, slam the door. Mechanic Melville, uh, had 21 kills. Tally Marmon actually had a good game, uh, uh, with 16, 
Um, and Catherine Weslich had a double-double, 11 kills, 10 blocks. But um, the issue for UCF was they. Uh, it, this was a replay, guys, of that Tulane match in the American semifinal where UCF failed to hit over 200 in the first four sets. And then when they finally did, it was in the fifth, and they got out-hit 360 to 208. Uh, for the match, they got out-hit 200 to 157. Um, and uh, and despite a 20-20 from McKenna Melville, 21 kills, 20 digs, um, UCF is going home. And a high point moves on. They're now 17-0. They will face the number seven overall seed, Purdue, uh, in the uh, NCAA second round. But um, this was obviously a real disappointment. Uh, Eric, you were in the presser with uh, Coach Dagenay afterwards, and he was, uh, to put it lightly, uh, crestfallen after uh, a match where UCF really just got... I, there's no other real word I can use for it. They just got shocked out there. Yeah, I mean, and, and there was a lot of emotion from Todd. Uh, the entire interview is on our Black and Gold Banneret YouTube page to check that out. And look, it, it's never easy to lose abruptly in an NCAA tournament, but this team had high expectations. This was a team that majority of the group, the veterans, have been to the second round. The goal, you know, McKenna Melville said before the season, they got, you know, more work to be unfinished business in the tournament. They have higher goals. Um, and, you know, I think he was stunned. I think it's a lot of emotion right now. He gave credit to High Point, as you know, rightfully so. Uh, but I think there are some things that he's going to look back and kind of wonder. He's obviously going to even said in the presser that he's going to self evaluate. They're going to evaluate some things and self evaluate some things. Not right away because it's too emotional right now, and you tend to make knee jerk reactions. But you know, I, my three takeaways there. First of all, I think, and they, and and he didn't use it as an excuse because both teams played on it. But I I didn't think this was a quality match from either team, and I think the settings had something to do with this. And you know this, Jeff. Teams are accustomed to playing in an arena of sorts. That was not an arena that they played in. That's No, it was a convention center. Correct. And, and I'm sorry. you just That's a tough thing to kind of get used to. Uh, now, they got there on Sunday. I'm sure they had some practice and stuff, but I think that affected the p quality of play in that match because UCF made a lot of unforced errors. Even uh, High Point couldn't, you know, made like 13 unforced errors in the serve. I just don't think it was a quality high-level yeah. match, and I think what happened was, to High Point's credit, they kind of played loose. You could tell they were playing aggressive. I thought UCF was playing tight at times. Um and a lot of their players didn't play well for whatever the reason, whether it's the setting, the, you know, deals, this stings, this stings because, you know, this was a neutral court. You didn't have to go to Gainesville to play Florida and all that stuff. And you play a high point team that, you know, you're favored by and this stings. You mentioned it's a shocking loss. Yeah. I think this is right up there with UCF baseball losing to um, Stony Brook when they were a win away from the Super Regional in 2012, and Stony Brook beat them twice in Coral Gables. And you just, man, and I, the Rooney era never recovered from that. Hopefully this team does recover from that. The, the thing they'll help, they'll help them. It's a quick turnaround to the fall. But this stings. This is going to sting. I know they left right away after the match. They flew back. And it's going to be a long summer, and I think they're going to think back of what if. Because... You know, as we record this, two things are going to happen here. Either Purdue is going to blow away High Point, and you're going to think to yourself, "Geez, why did how did we lose to that team?" Or if High Point upsets Purdue, you're going to be like, "That could have been us." 
<laughs> and and so this hurts. This hurts. This or 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 you think if High Point beats Purdue, you're like, man, High Point really is that good. Maybe, but <laughs> you players know? don't think that way. They always think they could have won that. You know, and going to yeah. five sets. And I think they they thought, you know, they're going to think back, man, we could have just played a little bit better. And, you know, you mentioned McKenna's numbers, but I thought, you know, High Point kind of focused on her. They made it difficult yeah, on her. And unfortunately, and Todd had been working on this all year to try to create that balance, but nobody else really stepped up, Jeff, offensively. It was And that that put him in a tough spot. Yeah, here's 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 what happened in the match. Uh, they, you You kind of have two options with UCF. Either you... And it is pick your poison. Either you cover McKenna Melville and you force the outs, the right sides to beat you, or your opposite with the call volleyball, your right side to beat you. Or you cover your opposite and you force McKenna Melville to beat you. And what High Point I think did was 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 pretty brilliant from what I could and I'm very amateur in terms of analysis, but they shut down the right side, so that's Mackenzie Chambers and Anne-Marie Watson. They shut down that right side. Chambers was, I got the stats right, negative 087. Not going to do it. Uh, Anne-Marie Watson was 107. Seven kills, four hours on 28 attacks. Um, and, and then on the other side, they didn't really challenge McKenna Melville at the net. Like if they set up McKenna... On the uh, if UCF set up McKenna on the left hand side, they didn't really challenge her at the net. They kind of played this umbrella defense and allowed their back line to just dig out everything she tried. Now High Point can do that because their best player is their libero. She was the conference player of the year this year. Was her Abby Bottomley, and she had thirty six digs today. That's a lot, uh, even in a five set match. So. Uh, and they're also a very deep team. So when she rotated out, they also got 26 digs from Macy Miller and another 14 from Maria Miggins, who's their setter. So you're looking at 95 digs right there compared to UCF's 87, which were yep. spread evenly between four players, one of them being McKenna Melville, who's up front. But, you know, when she goes in the back, she's a pretty good defensive player, too. And... UCF just didn't have, we just didn't have an answer for that. Well, and they got, fr uh, didn't you feel they got frustrated too? UCF they really times, did. Right? Yeah. You and I were second talking set, during the match. And second I thought, set, man, you could yeah. sense that they were yeah. like, they were like, man, what is going on? Why can't we get anything through on this team? And, and I think that just, that just continued to rear its ugly head throughout the match. And the way, and the way you know that that defense was working was in the second half of that rotation, Tally Marmon comes in and she's on the left side in McKenna Melville's spot. Okay. And Tally had 54 swings tonight. McKenna had 60. Usually McKenna has, no matter what you do, she has more than Tally Marmon does. But Marmon had 54 swings. So a hundred so you have 114 swings between two players. And that's a lot. That's a lot to ask of your of your two top two players. And the reason why that was that way is because they were setting that they High Point was basically saying, okay, go ahead and beat us left side. You can't beat our defense. And they turn out to be right. And you got to hand you, you got to hand it to them. You got to hand it to to High Point for playing a deep playing a defense that worked. They have the personnel to do it. They had the ability to do it. They dared UCF to do it and we and UCF had no answer for it, which is which is just right. a real bummer, but that that's the on-court part of it that was that was what it was. Now I'm, I don't know if anything's going to come out of it. Like if somebody if somebody was hurt later on, um, that well, may have affected some, some of the performance. Players, I don't know. 
Did but some of the players take the match for granted where they think because you know sometimes when you win so I much, don't think that's the case you you win so much you think you could flip the switch and like hey we you know they were up they jumped on them nine to one I believe in the right. first set sometimes as a player you're thinking it's too easy you know sometimes you well, can get I, too I, quick of a start. I, I'll even quote something off of this podcast last week I forgot who said it but I remember distinctly some people saying who's high point because again like there was this concept this sort of idea that Oh, it's high point. I mean, no, there's a conversation. That was That's Drew, wasn't it? That wasn't me. I, I wasn't know. in that segment. And I know it wasn't me. That was Drew, someone I think. This, We're blaming Drew. There you go. There it we wasn't go. me. There you go. But, but, but yeah, so now I'm throwing Drew under the bus while he's not here. It's like, That's how yeah. I like to do it. Stab, stab people in the back, kids. Don't forget it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 there is a, there is a, at least part of me that thinks like possibly they were looking forward to Purdue, a number, a number seven national seed, yes. rather than, you know, a high point, which – Leads to the low point. You're of their 18. Season. Look, right. You're eight. Look, these are 18 to 22 year olds. You're not professionals. Uh, I would not be, especially the youngster ones. I would not be surprised if they took high point for granted. And said, all right, we're fine. We've always pulled this out. We've always found the way. You know, in a weird way, because you know Purdue's on the horizon, it's hard to ignore. You know, sometimes you're better off playing a good, like a name brand, if you will, in the first round than you do a Florida team State like last year. Right. I, I, I don't think I don't think it was a case. I certainly don't think it was the case that UCF wasn't prepared because I know that they were prepared for high point. I think, you know, whether or not the players got the players took high point lightly once they stepped out onto the floor. I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I see where you're I see where you're coming from on that. And sometimes it's hard to it's it's hard to uh, look past the cut. Look past the vegetables when you see a cupcake on, you know, behind it, so to speak. Uh, which is, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I mean, like you said, Eric, they aren't professionals. These are, these are, you know, 18 to 22 year olds who are, you know, are like, I can't wait till we get to see Purdue. We're going to get them this time. Well, and not all and, of them. Have, and been high point, get, like, give, and we can't, I, I still say this, I'm going to maintain it as always. You have to give high point a ton of credit. They were ready. They were, they brought the energy. Um, and they emotionally overwhelmed UCF, I think, in that match. That their bench was jumping around with every point, and you know, and and even sometimes you, know, you could say you, you could kind of go back and forth on that and say, well, you know, maybe UCF has a it, you, you know, it's UCF's mo to be very calm, very cool, very collected. You know, to, hey, don't worry about it. We got this. Let's keep our feet underneath us, and we'll be fine. And I think that was what was happening. It's like, hey, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Don't worry. And then they never figured it out. And High Point just kept just kept throwing, you know, yeah. a pair of kings on him. And it, uh, but it, yeah, no, you're right. And that was that. It, but now the thing is, they have to put get over this because you can't let this linger. Because this sometimes happens in programs and sports teams where you have a loss, you have high expectations, you have a shocking loss. Do you get over it? And I mentioned the baseball example with UCF. That team was that 2012 team was super loaded and had high expectations. They got to Coral Gables. Miami got eliminated in two games. They didn't even have to deal with Miami. They're a win away from the going to the super regionals for the first time in program history. All they got to do is beat this team in Stony Brook, who's the four seed, and they lost twice. To para to paraphrase uh Drew, where is Stony Brook? Right. Right? They lost and, they lost Tony and I mean, UCF threw for future major league baseball pitcher, Eric Skoglin in one of those games and Brian, Ank, you know, and they lost and the Terry Rooney era was never the same. They never recovered from that. They were never the same program after that. 
Uh, we could we'll talk women's soccer later, but they had an, a magical year in 17, lost to Washington. Sometimes losses sting. Now, you can get over it. The San Antonio Spurs had a crushing loss to the Heat in the finals, came back more motivated the following year and blew out the heat in the finals. The, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring up the team from Boston that did this to New York in baseball, but you both can know about that experience. So what this group has to do right now, and I think that's gonna be the big thing is get motivated and be better in the fall. I know players like McKenna will be, but I'm wondering about the other players around her and things like that. Don't let this linger because that could be a hovering effect. So that's going to be interesting to see how they recover from this loss because they had high expectations and sweet, you know, they're trying to be that first team to get to the sweet 16. They've not shied away from that. And unfortunately that did not come uh, uh, to fruition this year. Well, let's and look at the, go ahead. Murphy, sorry. Sometimes, and sometimes you just have a bad day. And I yeah. know we, we some, people, some people can say things like how this team, uh, and they're all disappointed. I know fans are upset, but like everyone's disappointed. And sometimes, you just have a bad day, and, and I wanted to bring up the two stats that uh, I told you guys earlier about. They had 31 errors in this match. That ties their season high with that Tulane game in the conference tournament. They, that match that, Jeff, you'll agree that they probably should have lost that match as yeah. well because of really Tulane choking they play, the they, they did They did not play well in the Tulane match. They got away with it, uh, basically based on their defense. You're right, Murph, 100% right. And then and then their hitting percentage was 157. That's third. That's third worst. Uh, scant points behind the Tulane match, 154, and the Florida State match, 156, the only match of the year they lost before tonight. Yeah. It's just a bad night. It's just a bad night to have a bad night. Yeah, that's it, exactly right. Now, the, the breakdown of the team looks like this heading into next season. There are three, officially this year, there were four seniors. Fabi Rebos, defensive specialist who um, didn't play this year due to injury. Amory Watson, uh, who I believe they expect to come back. Uh, Amari Williams, who is a middle block who transferred in, um, and uh, it, it was uh, it, from Florida State, who didn't play this season. Uh, I don't know what her status is going to be. And then Nerissa Moravik, who is a redshirt senior, um, yeah, play uh, from Lincoln, Nebraska. Interestingly enough, uh, playing today in Omaha. Um, I don't know what Nerissa's plans are for uh, next year, but you you do have one, two, three, four juniors. Uh, who are going to be heading into, remember, this is a free year. They'll be heading into technically their junior year next year. Okay. So that's Amber Olson, their setter. Tali Marmon, who had a great game. Uh, McKenna Melville, who's McKenna Melville. Catherine Westlich, who is fantastic. Um, I beg your pardon, four juniors, four juniors. So that's a, that's a big junior class who has at most two more seasons to do big things. So, and if, and, if, and McKenna Melville is the leader of this team, I think, unequivocally. We know that for sure. Um, you know, I, if, and McKenna is a competitor. I, I know this personally, how competitive she is. No doubt. Um, she plays chess while the others are playing checkers out there. And if this team is, if any team can put this in the back of their head and use this motivation to get to higher places next year, it's a team that's led by McKenna Melville. There's no question. To, there's no question to me about that. So you know, again, this is just—it's like we've talked about with all the other sports. This has just been a weird year. You're playing volleyball well, in the spring. I will say, you, know, this, you, had, I mean, you had COVID. Right. They didn't have an off season. Um, they managed to put some, put it, put it together in the fall, but it wasn't the same as what it w- usually would have been. So it's just all weird. Now you're going to have these back to back seasons, yeah. Which is also something I think that we're going to have to keep an eye on with volleyball across the country. 
So um, well, we got breaking news here. I just got an email as we're recording this. Rice and North Carolina A&T were supposed to play tonight in the opening round of the uh, NCAA tournament. Rice is out due to COVID. North Carolina Whoa. A&T is going to advance because of the protocols. That has just been sent. The NCAA has just sent me the email out. So the reason I bring that up is, to your point, short-term, you're negative. It's disappointing. You didn't have the opportunity. But you win a conference title. You get to the tournament. Uh, in a year like this where things like this can happen that you don't have control over, uh, we, stuff like that, this was still a successful season. It's okay to be disappointed and still have a successful season. Sometimes people try to put the word disappointment as a bad year. It's, this was not a bad year at all. This no. was a successful year, and I think that we need to make clear. That. What a conference title. They're going to hang another Absolutely. banner. Third straight Absolutely. year that they did yes. it. So let's let's that's a big thing, and like I said, we'll see what happens in the fall. Hopefully things are more normal in the fall. And you're right. I think with McKenna on the roster, that will prevent them from any hangovers, if you will, I would like to think. All right. In the meantime, we ended the evening on a positive note, Eric Lopez, because your UCF softball team, who, by the way, was heading up to Gainesville today to play Florida. Here's this crazy story. a The bus gets a flat tire on 75, all right, heading up to, heading up to Gainesville for this game. And you were... You were sending me uh, direct messages on Twitter like, like, oh, boy, it's here we are. We're going to get blown out by Florida after this disaster. Well, guess what? Wasn't you? wasn't Florida doing the blowing out. It was yeah. UCF who <laughs> beat Florida 7 to nothing yep. in Gainesville. A sweep of the Gators. They go into Gainesville, beat them 7 nothing. And how about Brianna Vasquez? Complete game three hitter. Is that right, Eric? Three yep. gave up just three yep. hits. Yep. Boy, did she need that start. Right against yeah. a quality opponent, she I, she's been scuffling all year, and she comes up with a tremendous on a on just a bizarre day. They push the start of the game back. What was it? Two hours? 640. No, no, forty minutes. Six forty. About forty minutes. Okay, which was uh, nice of them. Man, I bet you they're thinking they probably shouldn't have done that. Well, credit to Florida. I will say they actually um, picked. They sent their bus to pick them up in Ocala because the bus they had a flat tire. And it was going to take longer than that. Florida said, we'll just pick you up on our bus. And they did that. So <laughs> Florida's got a bus. <laughs> very nice bus. They don't need they don't need to, they don't need to call the charter company. They just say, here's our but, bus. But I'll tell you what, I mean, they UCF came out hitting four runs in the first inning. Shannon Jordy, who is becoming a superstar, not hit her ninth home run. She had three hits against Florida. And you mentioned Brianna Vasquez. That's a signature win for her. She's been kind of scuffling this year. That's a huge win. She joins Lindsey Enders and Allison Kime as the only UCF pitchers to win in Gainesville. It's the first win in Gainesville since the 08 regional final. And Brianna Vasquez, the only pitcher that was better than her tonight was Carlos Rondon of the White Sox, who threw a no-hitter in Major League Baseball. That's it. No other pitcher tonight <laughs> in the United States was better than Brianna Vasquez. But to beat Florida twice, first time in program history, and this is a huge psychological win. They beat them twice, and they scored 15 runs in those two games. Florida has given up. Those are the two games that have the most runs that this Florida pitching staff has given up. If if UCF has to go back there in the NCAA tournament, psychologically, they have an edge on Florida, which has never happened before in previous years. Heard a great number on the telecast that you, uh, Florida has given up a total of 15 home runs. Their pitchers have given up a total of 15 home runs all year. Five of them have been to UCF hitters. Yep. 
It's uh, they've had Florida's pitching staff number. And the thing is, Tim's thrown everybody against UCF. It's not like he, you know, in past years, he would hide certain pitchers because in the back of his mind, hey, we might see him in the regional. He's thrown everybody against UCF and none of their pitchers. And he has no answer. No. And that we'll see if that comes to fruition down the road. Obviously, we got bigger fishes to fry now because now UCF has to come home. Hopefully. And and I can't confirm. I've been on the phone while you guys were recording um, the first segment. They are back on their normal bus. They got it fixed, and they're busing back uh, home uh, from that victory. Well, deserved tires and all. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, no truth to the rumor that well, they're going to be slashing tires for future road trips now. But um, <laughs> now they got to come back and host arguably, statistically, the biggest American Conference Series of all time in the history of the league. This will be the first time ever in the American that they've hosted a top 25 series. Wichita State comes in number 25, UCF 23. Wichita State's two games up of UCF in first place. I think the winner of this series will likely win the regular season title. These two teams are going to the NCAA tournament. Let's put that make that clear. And, you know, we'll see how they respond now against this big series against Wichita State, which has one of the best offenses in the country. They're top five in home runs, runs scored. They have, they have 71 home runs as a team already this year. Woo. If it wasn't for Oklahoma having a historic year hitting 93 home runs in 30 games, we would be talking about this Wichita State offense historically. So uh, there could be some fireworks, some offense this weekend at the Plex, especially if the wind's blowing out. So this will be a challenge for this UCF team. They've played Wichita State seven times in conference play. Six of those seven games have been decided by one run. The one game that wasn't decided by one run went to 10 innings. Uh <laughs> And Wichita State's had UCF's number, so this will be a challenge. But this UCF team's going to be super confident coming out, coming from back from Gainesville. It should be a dynamic series this weekend, but huge, huge win. You're talking about Wichita State with those 72 home runs already on the year. Uh, to put it in perspective, UCF, and here we are saying, hey, wow, what a year UCF is ha- having hitting the ball. You know how many home runs they have on the year? Mm-hmm. 44. Yeah, and they're on pace to That break tells you what, right yeah. That, that tells you how good Wichita is hitting the ball right now. UCF is 30-9 and nine overall uh, and 9-3 and three in the conference. Meanwhile, Wichita State's sitting, at, sitting pretty at 11-1 and one and 29-5. and five. So you're right. This is, this is a battle of the Titans in the American right now. Uh, fortunately, UCF has it at home. Um, and, you know, after, they, you know, after UCF kind of came back to the field a little bit in those first two conference series on the road, remember where they – uh, yeah, Tulsa. They, it's freaking yeah, Tulsa. What, Tulsa again, you know, the three out of four. Uh, of course, sweeping ECU helps. Five in a row for UCF before they head into this game against yeah. Wichita, this uh, series against Wichita State. A successful road trip, actually. If you look at the, the, at the totality True. of it, at the totality of it, yes, bad start at Tulsa. But again, every UCF team struggles at Tulsa. Won six out of nine. They've won six out of nine on the road. They have strengthened. They're going to be an NCAA. Remember, this program has not been to the tournament in 2016. Let's put so there. There are some goals here that are being accomplished here. They've beaten Florida twice, three wins against top five teams this year, and I want to mention this real quick. This year, the sites are predetermined mm-hmm. in softball. Uh, I just interviewed Matt Larson for the softball podcast I host in the Circle. Checked it out. It's predetermined. We're going to find out the the week of April 26. If there are certain teams that cannot host, and there are some questions of some of the bigger teams, whether they can host or not because of the protocols, 
uh, a team like UCF could end up hosting without being a number one seed. It's not crazy. And I, from what I understand, they have put a bid in. So I'm not saying they're going to host, but I'm just saying you never know this year. This is a year where anything could happen uh, when it comes to the regionals. It's going to be interesting. We will know in advance who the regional sites host will be, both in baseball and softball this year. Softball will announce theirs the week of April 26th. So you're saying there's a chance. Like chance, Murph. Make it happen, Murph. We can right. tell <laughs> We've got, uh, by the way, Wichita series. Friday at 6 is the first game. We've got a doubleheader on Saturday the 17th, 2 and 4.30. And then uh, Sunday, 11 a.m. is the final game of the series. They will all be on ESPN+. And then don't forget, Tuesday, Eric, at the Plex. Oh, by the way, yes, there's more. in USA. <laughs> So, second time ever UCF will play a U.S. national team. They played them back in 08, uh, the Olympic team in 08, in uh, Altamont Springs. USA right. won one to nothing. Allison Kime went up against Jenny Finch, Kat Osterman, Monica Abbott, um, and, you know, that, that was the pitching staff for USA. Kat Osterman's on this team, Monica that's Abbott's quite That's quite the, uh, the two ends of the scale there. You got yeah, Allison right? over here, then you have yeah. three of the greatest pitchers in the history of softball over and, here. Right. And only lost one nothing on a two-out RBI single by Andrea Durant, scoring Jessica Mendoza of Major League Baseball ESPN fame now. So uh, pretty exciting. It's a 10-inning exhibition on Tuesday. It's a cool experience for this team. U.S. team obviously trying to get games in to get ready for the Olympics this summer. So it's mm -hmm. a cool opportunity for them to play them. That, that'll be a fun deal. I'm looking forward to that. Honor to uh, hopefully have a chance to call that. All right. All right. So we'll be on the line for that one. All right. We're going to take a break. When you come back, Murph will update us on some baseball. We'll also talk soccer, their preview of their American Athletic Conference soccer championship, which was which starts tomorrow, Thursday, April the 15th. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here as we wrap it up. We still got a lot of stuff to talk about for this weekend, starting with soccer. All right. Uh, men's soccer is in the American Athletic Conference Championship. The seven and three Knights are the number one seed. And the tournament is taking place in Orlando, here at UCF. The Knights will face their arch rivals from SMU, whom they've beaten twice uh, in the season, in the semifinals on Thursday, that's April the 15th, uh, at 7 p.m., um, UCF beat SMU uh, back on April the 2nd, 2-1, two to one, and then beat them 2 to nothing when they were ranked number 9 in the country, SMU was at the time, back on March the 13th. Three consecutive conference championships for uh, UCF and Scott Calabrese. What a job that uh, Coach Calabrese has done, Eric Lopez. They clinched that at Memphis with that 3 to nothing victory to clinch their 6th win in a row what a job by this team who we thought would was in trouble at one and three right and still had two games with smu left on the slate at that time smu was ranked in the top 10 and then look what happened six consecutive wins over the course of those six wins they've allowed a grand total of two goals yannick Ertel is the uh, conference goalkeeper of the year and here's UCF as the number one seed once again with the tournament at home. It's still remarkable. Uh, they beat Memphis late night, Friday night, 3-0. I remember talking to Coach Calabrese at 1 a.m. <laughs> so, <laughs> talking about that. That's on our Black and Gold Bannerette YouTube page. As well. I'm still amazed they pulled this off to win six in a row, to win a third straight regular season title. This is pretty special stuff, what they pulled off. 
I understand why the Tulsa head coach won the coach of the year. He, they were picked last in the preseason, so they over. They had a great year. Give them credit. They but, finished. Uh, right. They finished in second place at six three and one. And uh, and all, all due respect, obviously to Coach Calabrese, the Tulsa coach did a great job this year. He did a great job, but this might have been Calabrese just had just as much of a claim to that award. I think this is yeah. his best job he's done. When you consider this team was without Yannick Ertel for a couple matches due to an undisclosed injury, they lost. Uh, you know, Learman through an injury in the first match, missed a few matches. Mm-hmm. You had a situation where you had a player sign a pro contract and Louis Perez, who was, a, was one of your top players, left after one match. He signed a pro contract. I mean, this season looked like it was head destined to head south, and it didn't. And uh, obviously, Gino Vivi stepped up his game a little bit. Dorado and some of the other guys did. I did a lengthy interview with Austin David, who did a lot of their matches on ESPN plus that's on our YouTube page as well. And he broke it down. I mean, these guys kind of settled in, you know, they were pressing early. They didn't have the confidence, but once they started scoring goals, a uh, Gino Vivi, for example, he was very passive early in the year, got more aggressive as the year went on. And it, it just all clicked and uh, just remarkable job for them. And the reward for that is a third meeting with their rivals right off the bat in the semis. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh, well, I mean, that's how the that's how it all works out. SMU fin- ended up finishing in fourth place in the conference. Um, by the way, all conference uh, for UCF are, are, are in addition to uh, Yannick Ertel winning goalkeeper of the year. Yoni Sorokin uh, was co midfielder of the year along with Canute uh, Allender. What a great name of SMU, Canute Allender. Um, UCF won the Team Fair Play Award. Uh, and then your first team all conference selections, Ertel, uh, Yoni, uh, along with uh, Giannis Learman and Anderson Rosa, who really came on late. What a freshman find he's been, by the way, uh, as an offensive defenseman, by the way. Uh, and then second teamers, uh, Hattie Barry made second team, and uh, Luca Dorado, uh, Andrew Liz- uh, Andrew Lizness, and Anderson Rosa all made the all freshman team. Yeah, uh, Rosa and Lizness were all unanimous choices rightfully so Rosa was impressive to me he's got a bright future ahead yeah for Yannick by the way that is uh, to me that cements his legacy at UCF as one of the top three goalkeepers of all time Winston DeBose obviously the UCF Athletic Hall of Famer the Florida Sports Hall of Famer is number one they had another Rick Brentsevic who followed DeBose is probably number two for now, but I actually would put Yannick right now ahead of Sean Johnson. Now, Sean Johnson's had a better pro career and international career, but from a college standpoint, to win the award three straight years, impressive for Yannick, who I'm sure is going to have a bright future playing professionally wherever he decides to play. Now, as far as the tournament is concerned, it's UCF and SMU, one versus four at seven on Thursday, preceded by two Tulsa and three Temple at 4 p.m. Um, here, here's this note on, on UCF. This is the uh, third consecutive year that UCF has hosted the American Soccer Championship. Both previous years, they've lost to SMU in the final. And in fact, UCF has lost to SMU in the final each of the previous three seasons. The third one was at SMU. Um, this includes, uh, I mean, you want to talk about heartbreak. Uh, this includes a, a, a PK shootout back in 2018, uh, one to nothing game in 2019. Um, I, I mean, this has just been uh, heartbreak city for UCF against SMU. Now they got to face them in the first round, uh, and but with a chance to get to the championship. Is this Eric? Is this the 
chance for UCF to finally get over the hump and win that elusive conference tournament championship? Well, they got to get past. I mean, it, it, man, I really do believe the winner of UCF SMU is going to win this conference championship. Nothing against Tulsa. Ooh, or someone Temple. is selling Tulsa short. Well, they really kind of limped in at the end. I don't think. I know they beat UCF twice earlier this year, but I think this is a different UCF team. I'm nervous about this. I don't like the fact they're playing SMU right away. I think SMU knows, and this is such a fascinating situation because remember the tournament, the NCAA tournament is 36. The selection show is Monday. Now, I personally think UCF is in because men's soccer, the American and men's soccer, is very well respected. They've been a three-bid league as recent as 2019. I think they're going to get two in, and I think UCF's one of them, and I think the other team is either going to be SMU or Tulsa, unless, obviously, or if, you know, if Temple wins the tournament and things like that. But SMU worries me, man. This is a rivalry match. SMU knows they've beaten them before in postseason. I'm curious to see how UCF comes out early. Do they come out aggressive with that confidence that, hey, we've beaten this team twice? Or do they come out passive? Because Brian and I were at that last championship game in 2019 when it was cold, and SMU took it to them early. UCF was very passive. We were shocked. I remember Murph was giving me a hard time because I was selling Murph about, man, this is going to be such an exciting match. You're not going to believe in Murph. <laughs> and nothing was going on, and Murph is looking at me no. like, what, what the hell is going on here? Like, what that was the same year that we had that wild, was it – Four to three game, right? Three three, Dallas, whatever it was, or, yeah. Or four four, I think it was a tie. right. And the championship game was such a slug, boring. Like it was really their dullest matchup of the ones Total they had. Opposite. Right, complete opposite, one nil game. So that kind of worries me a little bit. But if they can get through the SMU hurdle, I really think UCF will beat Tulsa or Temple uh, in this matchup. That's I, that's why I think this matchup is a huge match. And maybe you know you mentioned all the you know the losses in the championship game. Maybe it's better that they play them in the semis. I don't know. Who knows? Get them out of the way as soon as you right. can. Right, Go championship is is slated for uh, Saturday. By the way. Uh, at 7 p.m., uh, all the matches will be on ESPN Plus. So think, Thursday way, at 7 for UCF and SMU. Winner plays Friday or Saturday at 7. I think our buddy Garrett's calling it. By the way, is he is he calling it remotely or in town? We I gotta find. Oh him. no no! I, uh, well, with him, who knows? He's the type. Or of it could be one. Lincoln doing it. No, uh, I don't know. See, one of them is doing one. See, there's a men's soccer championship and a women's soccer. He's calling one of them. Lincoln's calling the other. I don't know which. I think Garrett's calling the men's. It would make sense. He's been calling SMU soccer all year. Done a phenomenal job, by the way. You've worked with him, so you're not yep. surprised. So I would ex I would assume that Garrett calls the men's soccer championships while Lincoln calls the women, but that's just speculation on my part. On the other side, the women's soccer team saw their season come to uh, come to an end on uh, or last Sunday. Uh, in uh, you want to talk about Murphy's Law? Here's how it went for UCF women's soccer. They started out the season 2-0 and then did not get a victory the remainder of the year. They lost to Houston 3-1 at home in a game where, first of all, when they, when they were coming in, they needed to win that game in order to snag the four seed and have their season continue in the conference tournament, which they could have done based on what you were talking about last week, Eric, the um, the points per match formula that they had to go to because there were some matches that were scheduled that were called off due to uh, COVID-19 problems. They fall down 2 to nothing in the first 10 minutes against Houston, in addition to the fact that Caroline Delisle was not available and neither were five other starters yeah. for various reasons. Yeah. So everything went wrong. The game was delayed. Also, on top of this, the game was delayed by six hours 
because of the rain that we had in uh, and the bad storms we had here in Central Florida. Um, just ugh, what, what a what a no other way to say it. what a crappy way to end the season. Weird, it was a weird night. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Me and Brian are talking because I remember the broad. You know they they weren't they didn't stream the match. And I'm, a part of me was like, all right, cool, because I'm watching WrestleMania. And then me and yes. Murph are just upset over this debacle of a match. Maybe the worst match in the history of WrestleMania <laughs> took place at 8 o'clock hour. First oh. match, Randy Orton and The Fiend, Murph's favorite, who loses, <laughs> loses inexplicably. One of the most of dumbest. One, of, a, of a one RKO. Right. Because his, his female friend turns on him and is like spitting goo all this time. So, me and Murph are yelling at each other, like, what the blank is going on here? While this is going on, I'm getting messages. Dude, do you believe what's going on with women's soccer? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I look up. They're down 2 nothing. They sent me the, the – somebody sent me their starting lineup, and I'm like, what the blank? <laughs> what? I couldn't believe it. Um, so, that was a weird 8 to 8.30 block on Sunday night. Um Look, man, it, it, so <laughs> it was unfortunate. Um, you know, we've talked about this throughout 2020, and it's still a factor in 2021. I mentioned it earlier in this show. Rice's women's volleyball season just ended because of COVID protocols. They were in the tournament. They didn't play a match. Right. And, you know, again, we're not going to speculate on the women's soccer, but we do know uh, from sources that some of the players, not all of them, but some of the players that didn't play in that was COVID tracing stuff. Not, not that we don't know. Any, that's all we know. But it's tracing, and and I believe most of them would have been back for the conference tournament. But as a result, you're left very shorthanded, and I don't care who you are. That's a tough task there to win. With yeah. basically, I mean, it's a shame because the goalkeeper who started, by the way, is a good story there. She overcame cancer. Um, so I do want to make a note of that. That's a, that's a positive story there. But unfortunately, she's the backup goalkeeper. I think um, uh, I think some of the players were playing out of position from what I saw yeah. in the starting lineup. It, it was just – you know, and that's why I don't take these don't take these event games for granted because you just you never know when all something might pop up and all of a sudden your season is just you know wrecked up. So a very frustrating season for women's soccer, a young team that uh, I you know struggled at times with consistency, lack of scoring I think was an issue that they're going to have to address. Kind of bit them at the end of nineteen and. I think for Coach Sahadak and company, the question now between now and the fall is how do we make up ground to Memphis and South Florida, who have who have been the best two programs over the last couple of years in women's soccer? Mm-hmm. I expect those two to play for the championship. I expect those two to be in the NCAA tournament. And I think for Coach Sahadak is can we grow up fast enough and add a couple of other pieces to get back to that level? Because they were not this year for various reasons due to yeah. inexperience. I do. I do want to sh- give a shout out. The, the goalkeeper you're talking about is Nala Turner, who yes. uh, it, it, she who suffered from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, yep. was diagnosed stage four on January 9th, twenty twenty. Went through six months of chemo and radiation, and finds herself in early twenty twenty one on the field uh, playing for UCF, and it um, and. It was fighting off cancer through a global pandemic. Mm. Um, you want to talk about a tough woman, uh, Nala Simone Turner. God bless. I, I'll tell you, she's. It's really something. It's a shame that her last game, uh, you know, went the way that it did. But but she got um, to play. She got to be on got the to field. Play. 
And, so, and that's the, a remarkable story. And, and, yes. and, you know, she's and, and, you know, mad applause to her, mad applause to Nala for, uh, for everything that she's been able to accomplish. And we wish her the best of health um, going forward. As far as UCF women's soccer is in general, um, you know, like I said, it's a bummer how the, how the season ended, but I think this is one of those things where you kind of have to throw it out due to COVID. I mean, it's, it, it's, well, you hope that the young players got the, this experience will make them better for it in the fall. Yep. There's some things, like I said, goal scoring, they still got to get better. They really haven't figured out that goal score. Like they used to with Morgan Ferreira and company. They got to get back to that level. If they want to compete, beat South Florida and Memphis for the conference title but you still got caroline delisle hopefully they i know they got a good recruiting class coming in so uh hopefully in the fall things will be a little more normal yeah. and, and you know things will go better tennis uh ucf women's tennis beat south florida seven to nothing uh on friday they have two matches left they're at florida state on friday uh and then they're home for tulsa on monday and then that's it for the regular season because the following thursday the 22nd starts the american uh championships at the usta um, national campus. FSU, by the way, number four in the country. This is a big um, check with me situation for uh, for UCF women's tennis, just 13 and four on the year. I, if they go up to, to Tallahassee and get a W out of that, I think that's a big, big boost for them going forward into the uh, into the uh, American uh, Conference Championships and also into the NCAAs, which will also be held in Orlando, right? Fingers crossed that it is. Now, you know, there's a lot of the NCAA this week came out with a statement and, you know, not to get political in this, but there's been some bills trying to states pass, trying to pass bills about transgender athletes and whether they could compete and things like that. And the NCAA has come out and said, look, if you pass those type bills that your state, we will revoke championships from your state. Now, we don't know if they will or don't. I don't know what the Florida situation is on that. Well, but the Florida, the Florida, the Florida State House just passed their non trans uh, non transgender bill, I think, today or yesterday. So uh, that okay. has not been signed yet, but that, that is expected to pass. So we'll see how the NCAA reacts to that. Right. And do they move the championships away from Florida? This is not just a one-state thing. Uh, there's other states involved in this, but that is something to monitor in the coming weeks because I, you know, we'll see what happens here. Will the NCAA, who have come out with a statement saying they, would, they will consider moving uh, out of the championships, out of those states, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, right now, they're ranked 18th in the ITA as a team. Uh, Florida State ranked fourth. So, And then Tulsa, by the way, is ranked 46th. So that's going to be a pretty tough matchup as well to finish out the regular season. The men on the other side uh, are at 17-3, and 5-0 in the conference. And they won nine in a row. They beat Wichita State uh, on uh, Monday uh, and uh, North Florida on Sunday. Uh Combined nine to two in those number twenty nine Wichita State they knocked off too so two more matches against ranked opponents in the American at home number twenty seven Memphis on Sunday the eighteenth number thirty eight Tulsa on Tuesday April the twentieth uh, the uh, men are currently ranked eleventh at uh, in the uh, in the ITA rankings. Uh, and I'm checking the singles rankings too because I want to see where Gabe DeCamps is. is up to number three. Up, yeah. number, number three, three moved, up one, moved up one spot to, and, from number four to number three. And it reminds me of a point that Todd made, Todd Dagenet made in his postgame uh, after the volleyball match. And I want to bring this up again. You know, he mentioned it. They were risk, they were limited on what they could do from a non-conference schedule. They were kind of more ge you know, geography-friendly schedule, if you will, right? Local scheduling. And he said in his post game that he felt that kind of hurt their 
development of the team and the growth of the team. And I think you look at tennis as the example of what he's talking about. By playing a tough non-conference schedule nationally, they have played a national schedule. Yes, they Both have. tennis programs have grown and allowed to grow to this level where they're at right now, and that includes Gabe DeCamps, who is a national title contender in singles play. So, again, I'm going to make this point because I agree with Todd, and I agree. I'm going to defend the coaches on this for the Olympic sports because I know there's some that out there that think, well – the Olympic sports should just do local scheduling to save money because they don't bring revenue. Hogwash, they should schedule nationally. They have to schedule nationally. Local regionalized scheduling does not work. It does not work, and uh, it does hurt your programs. So uh, I will de- I will defend Todd and other coaches on that. I support them in their belief in how they should schedule a national schedule. If you have an issue, if, if a school is losing money, Look at the coaches' buyout and what they're paying the coaches as a problem in football. That's where it mm-hmm. is, not the Olympic yeah. sports. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that brings us to baseball. <laughs> oh, Murph, baseball. <laughs> that brings us to baseball with Murph. Clearly, it's the it's the caboose of the show because I don't know what we can say. I don't know. I don't know. Well, two out of four against Cincinnati. They split the doubleheader on Friday. Saturday was the was the notable game of the sport game set last weekend at Cincinnati. Get a load of this, folks. Final score was twenty to ten. UCF. UCF had twenty or drew twenty walks in this game. They had twenty runs on fourteen hits. They scored in every inning except the eighth. Uh, and uh, it's just one of those wild college baseball games, you know, that you look at and you're like, "Geez, like what in the world is happening?" Uh, I wish Jeffrey it was, was wild, except everybody was just walking. <laughs> yeah. jo- Josh Crouch was three for four and hit two homers in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and UCF got the, got the W. Uh, they're currently standing, Murph, right now at 14 and 18, but four and four in conference. And they finally get to play a home series in conference uh, this week against South Florida. Doubleheader Friday, followed by Saturday and then Sunday. Um, are are we okay with where this where they are right now? I mean, obviously, you know, four. No. Okay, I get that. I get that. All right, all right. Let me rephrase. <laughs> rephrase, Your Honor. Four and four. After two road weekends in conference. No, there's something to work with here, or no? Uh, it's look. We said on this podcast, me and Eric were very adamant on this podcast last week that they need to win three out of four. Last week, they had to. They really needed to win three out of four against Cincinnati team that was not just beaten, but in most cases uh, laid to waste by East Carolina the week the weekend before. And East Carolina is a top 10 team. They're going to be a national yeah, that, seed. Cincinnati's not the only team that East Carolina has been laying waste to, by the way. I should right, say. they're going to be great. But still, you need to win three out of four. And the problem is, and it's one of those weekends, again, where you're just asking what if. And UCF could have won three out of four. Hell, they could have swept. They could have swept because the two games they lost, they lost uh, one game in the doubleheader on Friday or on uh, Friday, uh, two to one, a game in which they went over seven with runners in score position and left nine men on base. And they had three errors in that game. We've talked about, we talked all year long about their, their inability to hit uh, with men on base and in scoring position and their defense. And then on Sunday, they're up five to two going into the, I think it was the sixth inning and Billy McKay 
who really had been really good in the game before and in a game earlier this weekend, just didn't have it. Didn't have it at all. Uh, allowed for allowed all four of the runner allowed all four of the batters he faced reach base. They all came around to score. Cincinnati put up six in the inning, and what was uh, a five to two game was now eight to five Cincinnati, and they went on to win ten to six. UCF could have swept, but again, it's the things we've been talking about all year. They don't hit. They don't have. They don't have good timely hitting. They haven't all year, and now it's like a trend. Uh, usually, those, those things are fluky, but now it's like they just haven't done it. They still haven't done it. And they do not have a true stopper. And it's really been this team's weirdest element that with all, I'll say it every week, with all of the, all of the love lady teams and all of the closures that this team has turned out and uh, in the eighth inning guys, ninth inning guys who have been just rock solid, they don't really have a guy, you know, can put up a zero at, at any moment. They have good pitchers, but they don't have a true, like, lockdown guy and it's just weird and it's really hurt them and this is the worst year to have that issue like yeah i i, I really believe guys if you had last year's bullpen into this year's schedule with, with, if they would have played a four-game conference schedule that team last year was built for that murph right we covered the yeah. csun series in sienna you the bullpen was strong. I you look for you were confident that every guy was coming in. You knew the plan. Hey, let's get the ball into Hakinson. They were built for the four game series. They had more depth. This year is the complete opposite. I don't think this is a team that's built for a four game series, and I think it exposes the flaws that you just brought up in this bullpen. They're not as deep, and there's not that confidence that you had last year where you're like, oh, I feel good about this guy this year. Like I watched the Cincinnati series with you, Murph, this weekend, and. I didn't feel great about anybody that was coming into the game. No, it's and there's not that guy that you're like, all right, he's going to put up a zero here. There's not that guy should have been Jackson Clare, right? I think we all thought it was going to be Jackson Clare. Then the 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 Hunter Patterson ha, just could not get it together as a starter. And I've heard that there's you know that he just did not. I don't, I don't know if he mentally or physically, but he did not prepare the way he needed to prepare this year coming into this year to be a starter. And it's just so weird because he was so good in the fall and they were going to depend on him to be their stat, their Saturday guy, or really just their, you know, their Friday guy in game two, really. And he just hasn't had it. They moved into the bullpen. He's going to be in the bullpen for the rest of the year. Because of that, they've had to move Sinclair, who was going to be their stopper in the rotation. And to his credit, Jackson Clair has been pretty good in the rotation, but it's left them without a guy who's like a true ninth inning closer. They've got Litchfield. They've got Hunsaker and uh, other guys that are, that are good but again, you're coming off a line of Bryce Tucker, Kyle Kemp, Garrett Westberg, uh, you know Jeffrey Hakinson, uh, Thad Ward. These are these are dynamite relievers. Well, they had Dang great arms last year. I think we took it for granted, yeah. like all the guys they lost. Yeah. Oh well, you know. I mean, Jeffrey Hakinson was a stud, but you also yeah. had other guys that threw a lot of innings for that team last year that they lost. So it it, yeah, it is, but it, it's just just frustrating because the talent's still there. I mean, there's so much talent in this offense. This lineup, I still look at this lineup and I go like, it's just so inconsistent, and I don't get it because it's like this 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 lineup, guys, is really good. Like, I would not, I would, I would tell you if it's bad. And I've seen bad, I've seen bad lineups from this from this program. Like in 2017, I think they had like four guys who were worth it, were like worth their salt, and then it was like we got nothing past number five. Uh, and, but now it's like this lineup one to eight, one to eight is like really good. One to nine sometimes is great, but they're just inconsistent. And sometimes they just, it seems like they tighten up in the clutch. And I know clutch is all finicky and weird and maybe not a real thing, but they just haven't hit in time of situations. And then when they do, they don't pitch very well. And it's like one or the other. And it just doesn't come together for yeah. a full game. It doesn't coalesce. It just, it's very up and down. It's very frustrating. 
Got a number for you. UCF is undefeated when they lead after seven innings and winless when they trail after seven innings. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's, it, that, is the, that is the lack of timely hitting, late in, late in ball games, and the fact that, you know, you, those are probably games. There are probably games in there that they could have won that they maybe let slip, they maybe let slip away late with an added run. Um, you know, and now they play USF again, a team who they saw just a couple of weeks ago down in Tampa. USF has not played since that series because their series against Tulane last weekend was postponed because of COVID protocols inside the Bulls program. Now, for all I know and all I've seen, this series is still scheduled to go off. So, yeah, I, I uh, from what I've been told from sources in Tampa, the uh, protocols, uh, I don't think a player or coach tested positive. It was somebody around the pro it goes back to the conf the tracing uh it's more of a tracing yeah. issue so, okay. so if, yeah. if they if they passed all the tests as we know with the procedures they should be good for this weekend but obviously you never know as you know with this thing i mean if you're around something yeah. you know it just you never know it's kind of unpredictable yeah, in this. yeah. by these, the way these series yeah go ahead i hate four game series i just want to say this should be this <laughs> one and done i hate four game series softball and baseball because i really do like you win two games in a normal year, you felt like you accomplished something. This year, you went two games. You feel like you wasted it. It's a wasted yeah, weekend. Yeah, everyone's kissing their sister after two and two weekends. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? USF, by the way, twelve and fourteen on the season, two and two uh, in conference. While UCF uh, comes in fourteen and eighteen uh, overall, and four and four in the conference. And, so and something's got to give. This is, a, this is a big weekend too for UCF because obviously. Uh, you know who looms next week? It's East Carolina. It's ECU and, Pirates, yeah. And then, and then it gets rough. You've got Houston in this back edge of the schedule, Wichita State in the back edge of the schedule. Their their schedule really, if you look at it now, the way the season's kind of playing play, played out a little bit, their 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 series are kind of backloaded with tougher teams. So going off to a four and four start is not great. Got to win yeah. the series. Got to win the series. You have to win series at some point. We said the same thing last yeah. week, though. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Got to do it. Got to do it. All right. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Thanks to uh, Drew for stopping in during the first segment. Stat Boy Drew on Twitter. Thanks again to you guys. Eric Lopez, Elo on Twitter. And, of course, Spokes underscore Murphy um, as well. Murph, do you have an announcement to make? Oh, Jesus Christ, Jeff. Yeah, I guess so. So, uh, oh, Murph this bomb. Is, this is, yeah, I'm, I'm breaking news on myself. So this will, <laughs> probably, this will probably be my last podcast for a while. Uh, because I just got done talking about baseball and I'm going to go concentrate on, on more baseball for the next six months uh, as I got a job with Major League Baseball uh, with the MLB.com. Hey! Oh, man, great, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you all that time talking Dylan Moore was a re there was a purpose behind that. <laughs> what, is, what is up with Dylan Moore? We got to figure that out too. Uh, but yeah, so that's going to be fun. And because of that and, and some other jobs I've got, uh, you know, some things have to fall by the way. Time is limited. Yeah, unfortunately, this is one of those things. So uh, I'm not going to be like disappearing, uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm not going to be like the fiend who just vanishes. We'll see. I mean, <laughs> look, this is a way for me to get my foot in the door at Major League Baseball, and and hopefully I can keep my foot in the door and then get inside the room and stay inside the house, and uh, that would be fun. That would be fun. Congratulations, for me. Brian Murphy, achieving what must have been some kind of dream writing for major league baseball .com. Yeah, it's not bad it's not wow. bad. well look like it all traces back to uh, a january night in 2017 people who don't know 
I came here without really a plan. I had flown back from LA where I'd lived for, you know, about, a, about uh, since 2009. So about eight years. And I came back here really not knowing what I was going to do. I ran into Eric Lopez after a UConn UCF basketball game, right, Eric? On, in January That's 27th. correct. Correct. Right. A and Sunday so you, night, too. A rare Sunday night game, I think it was, too. And, mm-hmm. and I think Connecticut won that game. They might have, yeah. I think Connecticut won that game. Uh, and anyway, you told you told me about this site that you guys had started up with with Jeff Sharon, and I sort of remember Jeff a little bit. I know it's weird, like Jeff is only one year ahead of me, but like, I, yeah, I didn't I, like I know who Jeff was. But I definitely knew who Eric Lopez was because we hung out a lot in college. Um, but uh, then I called. Then he said, you know, we're starting up the site, and you know, maybe you should join. And so I called Jeff the next day, and he said, I can't pay you. I said, that's fine. I just want to write sports again. That's all I really want to do. I had been covering fantasy sports for the past decade. And it was nice and fun. And I got to meet some cool people and stuff. But like fantasy sports wasn't really where my heart was. It was about writing like real sports and real stories. And it was writing real sports. Yeah. Going to real games, going to real games. <laughs> and, uh, and fortunately I got an opportunity to do that here at the Banneret. And uh, my baseball writing was good enough for me to get a, what was supposed to be a two month freelance job with the Sentinel in 2017. I was supposed to be no 2018. I was looking on the Sentinel for two months for the end of their 2018 baseball season. And then I was supposed to go. And then I turned into like the UCF guy who covers basketball, baseball, and is like number two in football. Uh, So it was a really, or basically like the guy who does things that Matt Merchell didn't want to do. First of all, don't don't (laughs) slander Matt Merchell. I'm not slandering Matt Merchell. Kidding. Kidding. No, but um, so it was really uh, just um, really, really fun. And it got me like, it got me back to doing what I love to do, which is writing about sports and telling stories. And, uh, and then the pandemic came and things changed and, you know, people lost, people lost jobs as if anyone wants to go back to the, the podcast we had the night that the AC tournament was shut down last year. You can hear me for, for telling my future very correctly, by the way, as I was very drunk <laughs> during that podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. You were at a bar in Dallas. Wait, wait, Dallas or wherever, um, Fort Worth, Fort Worth. Yeah. I was like, I just, I'm out of a job. And I, and, and so, yeah, I kind of was. Um, and so obviously life changes. Uh, and uh, I'm just very happy to be going off here to write about major league baseball. And uh, the one person, like I'll, I'll thank people, but like the one person I'll think on the show is Ileana Lamone, uh, who is now the deputy sports editor of the Los Angeles times. Uh, the, the woman's a saint, an absolute angel and really helped me, um, you know, get to where I am in so many ways, not just the Sentinel, but beyond. So, um, but thank you guys as well. Cause like without, without me running into Eric serendipitously waiting for Victor Anderson to pick him up for a car ride home, uh, <laughs> this might not have been possible. So thank you. Well, on behalf of us, thank you for everything yeah. that you've done for me that you've done for black and gold banneret that you've done for UCF fans everywhere over the past few years. And I know that you won't be stretching too far away from uh, UCF stuff, but enjoy Mm -hmm. writing baseball because I know that's the thing that you've always wanted to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ever since I I knew you as a student, when I was a young whippersnapper working in the department and you were, and you were, you know, trotting around with your, as the, pass, as the fedora. best, the best UCF baseball beat writer in the history of the future newspaper. <laughs> which, that's right. No, no, that's, seriously, you're like you think I'm joking, but I mean, you tell that story. I remember I reached out to Jeff after I ran into you. 
because literally me and Jeff had just talked about, I think a couple, it's so spooky. We literally had just spoken a week or two about, hey, what are we going to do for baseball coverage? Because I'm over at softball, so I can't, yeah. I can't go. And I was like, I guess I'm going to do it. And- but, you, but you had a, a busy slate as well. And we're like, what the hell are we going to do? I guess we'll just figure it out. And then I run into you and, I'm, and I told Jeff, Jeff, you got to get this guy in. This guy was great doing covering the team back during the Bergman years for crying out loud. And, and I was I was reluctant because I was like I was like Brian, you came all this way, and you're like, hey, what can I do? And I'm like, whatever you want, but I can't pay you. <laughs> like, but, is but, but, that okay? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And I'm yeah. like, okay, <laughs> right. And I remember because the message I said to you is like, look, man, you're great at writing baseball. Why don't you just cover the baseball team and? You never know what could lead that leads into, you know, and I, who knows, you know, and I, I'm so I'm, ha- I'm super excited for you. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad that worked out all those years later. Yeah, it's and, amazing. Uh, it's uh, and really UCF fans, if everybody has, re- has benefited from it, all the teams you've covered. I mean, you I, really because I remember it was originally was just going to cover baseball and then occasionally you would come on the podcast and that turned into you being a co-host. Yes. Yeah, right. Um, and yeah. Uh, you're still now. Your name is still going to be on the headline of this podcast, so I'm sorry. You're, that's going to be that's going to be hella weird. You can't edit that no, out. No, I, I, I got I got to edit that out. I got to oh, edit that out. All right, we'll edit Please it out. all right, all right. But that'd be weird. No. But it's cool how this has turned out. I'm glad it's worked out for you, and and, and I'm super. Me and Jeff said it perfectly. I'm just excited for you, man. I'm looking forward to reading your MLB stuff. That's where you belong. And uh, I, I'm stacked. I'm excited for it. I'm proud of you, man. I'm Thank you. And, and I feel like it's a good time because it's been four years. So I feel like I've used up all my eligibility here at UCF and, and <laughs> go somewhere else now. You mean no, that no, you get a free one because of COVID. Remember, That's Brian, right. you can yeah, come back yeah, for a free one if you want. All right, we'll see. <laughs> well, Brian, congratulations. As always, folks, do follow. If you don't follow Brian already, you just freaking should. Like, what's the matter with you? Spokes underscore Murphy. Uh, on Twitter, where you'll be seeing a lot more of him uh, uh, talking about Major League Baseball, which is something that <laughs> yeah. he he'll just bring up enjoys Chad tremendously. And Dylan Moore, Chad Matola, yeah, Dylan Moore. Hey. T- unfortunately, the only UCF baseball news we have right now is that Dan Winkler got put on the COVID list. This is really, this is really that's about it. <laughs> oh, that's uh, not good. Not uh, good. No, I don't want to talk about that. All right. <laughs> but thanks again to Murph for uh, for being awesome and helping us build this. Thing into what it has become and I personally am forever indebted to you for your incredible effort uh, and belief in this project so thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart I really appreciate it thanks man I mean it was a good it was a, it was a good time for me to come in I mean considering I came in uh, right before the undefeated season uh, right as you said baseball is winning conference conference championship or you know <laughs> buy low season. sell high <laughs> I mean really I, I feel very lucky to come in when I did and I feel like leaving now it's maybe a good time. It's like, like, it's like you it's like you bought Bitcoin in 2010 and look what's happened. Yeah, it was like, oh, Peach, <laughs> Peach, Bowl, Peach Bowl and Fiesta Bowl, first two years, it can only go up from here. <laughs> right. and, what, and then what? you covered an NCAA tournament basketball, first time for basketball in what, 14 years? The right. Best, the best UCF basketball game of all time. All time. That's right. What a time. What a time. So Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter to follow him. Uh, as always... Please make sure that you, uh, if you listen to our podcast regularly, thank you as always. Don't forget to leave us a comment uh, and a rating wherever you listen to podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, be it on Apple or Android devices. Uh, we appreciate it as always, and make sure you tell a friend as well. If you don't subscribe to our podcast, you can on iOS or Android devices as well. So for Eric Lopez, 
and Brian Murphy and Andrew Glukov and all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret. I'm Jeff Sharon Singh. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Congrats, Murph. Bye, everyone. <laughs>